0: Hello and welcome to Automators, the podcast where we talk about making your technology do everything for you, at least as far as we can. I'm Rosemary Orchard and as always, I'm joined by the very special David Sparks. Hey Rose,
1: how are you today?
0: Oh, I'm excited, David. You've been posting stuff on your blog, which has changed and oh my gosh, there's so much happening.
1: Yeah, I kind of turned my life upside down. Over, the, I've been doing, you as you know, Rose has, of course, been on the inside of all this. I, I decided in October to shut down the law practice and spent three months doing that. And now I'm giving all my time to Mac Sparky. And um, if you're interested in all of that, you can, there's a, a blog post will link and there's a episode of focused and Mac power users. But we're not going to um, get into all that stuff today, except for the fact that this whole change you know has allowed me to do, kind of do an automation audit and see how i'm automating mm-hmm. and one of the downsides of being a lawyer was i couldn't talk about some of the stuff i was doing because it was all client related um so now i thought i could like lift the veil off some of the other automation stuff i'm doing today and and i'm really kind of rethinking a lot of things because you know you know new year new me whatever right
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those things as well that sometimes it is good to go back and audit your automations. I have no idea how many automations I've created and forgot about and they're just running in the background. And sometimes it's great to just do a little audit of, hey, these things are massively improving my life. And sometimes it's good to do an audit for the, oh, that's where this little weirdness was coming from. Got it. I'm going to fix that now um, so that you can, you know, get all of those things sorted out. So, Yeah new year, new career. Why not?
1: Yeah. And this is, this episode is really going to focus just on categories of work and how I'm doing automation in them. It's not like a catalog of all automation that I do. As an example, last week, I did a post um on the blog about my, um, my Apple script to eject drives. You know, when I, when I remove my my laptop from the screen i have a keyboard master script that does closes windows and ejects drives and i, I posted that script that's not the kind of thing i am be talking about today we're going to kind of try and stay in categories um mm-hmm. but and, and then we're going to do another episode like this later down the road with rose and kind of take apart what she's doing too so i think this is going to be really fun and i guess you know we should get started right
0: yeah, and I think there is no better place to get started than your website because one of the things that uh, you did as part of the switch is you, you changed up your website, and I'm gonna guess that a chunk of this was because it's going to be easier to automate, right?
1: Um, yeah, that I mean, there was a whole bunch of it. Um, I was running, you know, in some ways, I was running both the law practice and my Sparky's hobbies because they were I was doing mm-hmm. them both at the same time. I, I don't really mean that I was informal about them, but you know it was hard to like do the exact best best practice and everything when you're constantly jumping between two things. And when I decided, yeah. okay, Max Barky is going to be it, I need to grow up on a few things. And there have been all these little cuts, you know, on the website and Squarespace. I'll just say is awesome, and that's not because I've read a lot of their ads over the years and they sometimes sponsor this show, but I really like Squarespace because. It's affordable and really good. Like, you know, the making the content adapt to the iPhone versus the iPad versus the Mac, it does that automatically. They have really good templates. You guys have all heard the ads, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not very expensive. And so I was really happy to stay on Squarespace all the years, but there were things I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to put a proper dark mode in, which we're working on now. Hopefully, that'll be done by the time the show airs. And I wanted to, um, you know i wanted to change the way the rss feed is handled and i just needed to kind of go to the next level and also i was adding the max Sparky labs which is a new thing i'm doing if you're interested i'll I'll put a link for that in the show notes too and and that has memberful as a background and like one of the things Mm -hmm. i can do with the labs is i can say like if you are a subscriber at this level there are certain pages only you can see you know with extra yeah. content and you can't do that in squarespace so i um i realized i needed to switch to to wordpress and i mean the first thing i did was reach out to my friend rose and ask if she thought that was a dumb idea and she said it wasn't
0: no, and no. um
1: then i um i started the process and i'll just tell you that um It is, it's pretty expensive, you know, with the traffic that website gets, it's, I'm paying like $700 a year in hosting fees and I got to, I have a developer. You've
0: also gone for like the best um, hosting option that's going to keep it simple for you though, because it's entirely possible that you could have done everything in a different way and saved yourself a lot of money, but you're like, you've chosen to save yourself headaches and not have to do work yourself here, which is the right choice for you.
1: Yeah, I use WP engine and I felt like this is something that I just want it to work. You know, it's my website, it's the yeah. center of my universe for the Max Sparky stuff I do. And I want that to always be available and always to be fast and work. And, you know, there there are other options with WordPress. You pick a, you know, a server and there's all sorts of vendors that'll do it. But yeah. um I went with the best as far as I understand. And so anyway, I I spent money on it and um, I did it. But there is an automation level to this as well.
0: Mm, I bet there is. Because one of the reasons why I said it wasn't crazy, because I know that things like Zapier and Integromat and shortcuts and drafts have all got support for WordPress, which makes life a little bit easier for you, I hope.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm really just getting my arms wrapped around it. Um, Mm -hmm. So starting on the... uh, on the local Mac level, um, I write blog posts and I continue to write them in Obsidian and Markdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so the automation steps that happen there are, I have, um, I write it in Markdown, then I run a Keyboard Maestro script that grabs all the text, goes yep. to Safari, opens Grammarly, and then creates, uses the feature in Keyboard Maestro where it looks at the screen and clicks a button, you know, which I yeah. know is always, a lot of people are afraid of that, but for the Grammarly website, that's the only way to open a yeah. new document. You have to like click a special thing on the screen, but it works every time. And then I use a pause command, and then I I paste the text in. So it's just like I put one. I'm just one button away from Obsidian to Grammarly Grammar Check. So that's the first step I do. Yeah, anything I write. Uh, so I'll do that, and then I have a, a similar um, script to put it back in Obsidian, and then I'll read it through a few times. And then I have another script I write that gets me to uh, post it to, of all places, Basecamp, you know. And Mm -hmm. that is an area where I really need to, as things progress here, I need to re-engage with um, web-based automation.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where there are plenty of possibilities for a whole bunch of stuff here that like you'll only see as you've as you dive into it and as you get deeper into it. But I think one lesson that everybody should take away from this is like you you need to have uh, a tool that you can use in the way that you want um, because I'm sure you know Grammar, uh, Grammarly, for example, is not necessarily scriptable, but Maybe if you tried the Grammarly desktop app, that would be easier. Um, And Tim Stringer actually posted in the Mac Power Users forums uh, back in November when this finally became available um, as um, a built into the Mac thing. But it is then everywhere on your Mac all the time, which some people may or may not want. Um, But, you know, once you start connecting all these things together, which you're now going to be very much more able to do just because WordPress has got an API, a web API, an open API that you can use. And everybody else can use that as well. Um, and so you could do things like, for example, whenever MacPower uses posts, create a draft post directly in WordPress with everything from the MacPower users feed. And then you can go in and make your tweaks and, you know, be done with it type thing. Yeah. And that's now possible, which previously you would have had to have extra steps involved to achieve that.
1: Yeah. And that's like something I need to follow up on. Like, this is uh, the, the WordPress installation is pretty new. Like, I'm also interested in going over to Red Sweater and trying, you know, their blogging platform software. Yeah. Mars Edit. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know what uh, how all that plays out. The way I've handled uh, blog posts related to podcast release is I mm-hmm. have uh, a form of automation called human delegation. <laughs> and yes. I have a virtual assistant that helps me out. And one of the things she does is every time she knows of my podcast and every time a new one drops, she, she creates a post and just posts it. So that happens automatically already, but it doesn't happen mm-hmm. through fancy computer stuff. It happens through me paying her, you know, once a month yeah. to do some things among that. But, um, why not make it easier for her? Like I could set that automation up and just to have the draft created and she could go in and check it and hit the publish button. And
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: And uh, so I, I need to work on that. Um, you know, also with the website, I'm working on some photo and image automations. You know, the trick Mm -hmm. with a website is you want to get the images big enough that they look good, but not so big that they take a long time to load. It's like a kind of a balancing act. Um, modern WordPress actually handles a lot of that for you. If you throw a really big image at, at it, it will kind of take care of it for you. By the way, WordPress, last time I used it was like 10 years ago it is, of course, it's a lot better than it used to be.
0: It's changed a lot, especially in the last few years. It has changed quite a significant amount. And by using um, WP Engine rather than entirely self-hosting it, um, they'll be doing a whole bunch of um, back uh, updates and stuff on the back end, which will protect you from some of the potential security flaws that are often associated with WordPress, where where it's basically just like you haven't installed updates on WordPress or your server in four years. And, yeah. that, that, and that's what the, that's, you know, like, of course, there's going to be security issues associated with not updating things for ages, just the same as if you never update your Mac um, or an iPad or an iPhone. Um, so it's 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 good that you've got like the better solution. And because you come in after such a long break, there have been some really big changes, which I do feel generally makes WordPress much more user friendly, um, which is a good thing.
1: Yeah. And, and another bit of human automation is I have hired a WordPress guy, you know, somebody who... Mm-hmm. Uh, sleeps with the WordPress code under his pillow, and he has full access. And like when plugins come in, I just said, "You figure out, you know, when to update them." And yeah, you know, I'm I'm really offloading a lot of it. As much of as a nerd I am, I don't really want to be a web development nerd, and that was the advantage of Squarespace. And and I've kind of done repeated that here with WordPress by getting someone else to kind of manage yeah. a lot of that for me. Like one of the issues we had was because I had been on Squarespace for so long. Um, the blog started out, Max Barkey started out in like 2007 as a, um, a, what was it? A dot me website. No, it was even before dot me. I think it was a Mac website. They used to make, a website builder that you can make mm-hmm. on your Mac. Yep.
0: What was it? Um Eyesight? No, that was the name of the camera. I've forgotten uh, what it, it was. was.
1: Called i iWeb. I think iWeb. That yes. was the one.
0: Yeah. Max Parky
1: yeah. started as an iWeb, and then I eventually moved to Squarespace. But back then it was Wild West, and I wasn't putting money into it to make it right. And I had all these issues with plugins, and I was just getting really frustrated. So I just jumped over to Squarespace about ten years ago. And then I am, and then when I, now I've gone back to WordPress. So we brought all of those posts over, but of course, because I'd been on multiple platforms, there were some issues when we first released it. So we had to do some redirect magic to kind of fix some 404 errors. And Mm -hmm. um, so there was like little things like that. And having somebody to help me out with that was uh, really a blessing
0: Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it is nice to be able to just go, look, you are the expert in this area. I'm going to hand this off to you because while it's not necessarily the kind of automation that I used when I switched my website ever recently, which were was regular expressions and like 45 minutes of coding, uh, it's perhaps a better solution because you're getting somebody who's got that expertise to do it for you. And did you really want to sit down with regular expressions for 45 minutes, writing a script to do something? Probably yeah. not.
1: Yeah. And, um, so that it's up and running and the automation has begun. So I, as I said earlier, I, I'm doing some local automation, getting it to team members. Um, I have different post workflows like that post I mentioned earlier about the uh, the Apple script. I have a couple friends or people. The, another thing I guess maybe we'll get to today if we have time is since I'm really like put it, going all in on Max Barkey, I'm really kind of growing a team around it too. And I've got people that back me up and... Like technical posts, like one about an Apple script, I'm going to have a few people read it before it gets posted to make sure um, everything works for them too and I don't post something that's not right. Um, And Mm -hmm. my workflow for that is I put it into a Google Doc where they can comment on it as text. And so I've got a whole Keyboard Maestro script written to do that. And once again, you know, web-based automation is something I need to spend time on. I think if we do this show again in a year, I'm probably going to have a lot more web hooks into a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. Um, but for now, I'm running Keyboard Maestro to get the doc, get the words into the right place and then send off a message to the gang saying, hey, I got this thing. Please take a look. Yeah. Then when it comes time to publish, that's the other time I bring the virtual assistant and she's, she has a master. She's really smart. And uh, I always have her read everything one more time. If you ever see a, a post at Max Barkey that has a typo in it, it's because I posted it, not her. <laughs> she always catches them. I don't always. And um, so anyway, that that so there's a lot of human-based automation in the blog generation right now. And I would like to get the robots more involved. And now that I've got WordPress, I can, you know, so that's cool.
0: Definitely. It makes a lot of sense for things like that. And honestly, you know, you just have a lot of options now that you maybe didn't before, like plugins, for example, like Publish Press. This is one that uh, I've used before and I know quite a few people use, um, where you can have like an upcoming editorial calendar with all of your drafts and everything scheduled in it and see, you know, all the things and comments like that and so on. And that, that's quite useful to have, but it's not necessarily possible with something like Squarespace without quite a bit of extra work so or potentially branching out into other tools entirely which may or may not be the right solution for you um so yeah it'll be interesting to see how this evolves and hear of course about it as we go
1: i'm writing down right now check out public publish press publish press.
0: <laughs> yeah okay. I've, I've already put the link in the show notes for people which david of course can access yeah. um uh because uh i i've, I've used previous versions of this and alternative things to it but this is a quite a popular plugin nowadays it's got 6000 active installations um so uh according to wordpress.com so yeah there's uh there's some options there yeah and, uh, i
1: in terms of plugins i'm running um the uh i'm running one for memberful obviously so i can you know put the page access there's one in there for uh, ConvertKit, convert kit which is what I run my newsletter through and yeah there is, uh, there's one in there that the developer put in for SEO, which tells me every post I write is bad SEO. I don't <laughs> apparently write very well for Google. <laughs> and, yeah, uh,
0: I mean, it's one of those things where if you're writing for Google, are you writing for the people? Yeah, and exactly. at the end of the day, Google is going to go out and change their algorithms because they want things to be ranked based on what people are actually genuinely interested in. And of course, because it's Google to an extent, what's well, going to make them money. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pandering, pandering to the plugin, perhaps not the solution, but yeah. you know, there's yeah. plenty of automation to be had um, with the website and we'll hopefully see all of that progress as we go.
1: Yeah. I will be ignoring yeah that SEO plugin.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: This episode of the automators is brought to you by LinkedIn jobs, post a job for free by visiting the link in our show notes. These days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find people you want to talk to faster and for free. Historically, the process of applying for a job or hiring somebody just seemed so fraught with pain. How do you find the person with the right qualifications or the person that can be the right fit? And on the flip side, how do you go to work for someone that you think you can fit in with and do good work? LinkedIn jobs is designed to solve that problem with LinkedIn jobs. You can create a free job post in minutes to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people with LinkedIn jobs. You can focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash automators. That's linkedin.com slash automators to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of the automators and all of relay FM
0: So David, I know that the uh, the website is far from the only place that you've been uh, getting into. New, uh, new, new territory as it might be, or just tweaking things and how you run things. And I know recently you switched to Fastmail, um, and then because of you, I ended up switching to Fastmail as well. Which thank you, by the way, for enabling me on that one. Uh, I very much appreciate my new email system. Are you still using that? Have you changed things up there?
1: Are you kidding? I love Fastmail more now than ever. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, with this, you know, Max Sparky business, it is very much a customer support business in a lot of ways but it's also managing contacts. It's just a lot of stuff. Email is a very big deal for the stuff I do as Max Barkey. And I. this is another thing that I trying to put my big boy pants on and handle it better going forward. Um, I've got people helping me with customer support that I didn't before. So I have, I guess I'll start at the root level. Um, Fastmail is the the mail service, and I've created several accounts under the Max Sparky domain. Um, like for instance, my wife um, is helping out a lot with customer support. So now she's got an email there, but one of the things I really love about Fastmail are aliases and rules. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like a good example is the Max Barkey labs. Uh, people have questions about their account or whatever. And uh, I created an alias at, called labs support at maxbarkey.com and uh, my wife has been very active with me in setting the memberful thing up. She understands the whole interface and how to do, you know, whatever customer support things need to be done. And I'm pointing that at her email. You know, if someday she goes back to Disneyland, doesn't have time to help me, I can get somebody else and point that at their email. You know, so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that I don't know if that's automation. I guess it's a bit of automation.
0: I mean, there's definitely automation within there because, for example, the email alias, this is a, a trick that I use even though I don't delegate my email to other people. I've got aliases for a whole bunch of things because it means that if, for example, I give, uh, give an email address, um, amazing uh, hoodies at yeah. com to a website, and then I start getting spam to that address, well, I know it was amazing com that sold my email address, um, and I can just blacklist everything that comes in from there from now on into that, and it's done. So it works really well
1: another way to use that on an individual basis is it's a rock solid form of a, a basis of a smart mailbox so yeah if you use a email application with a smart mailbox like apple mail you can say anything coming into lab support at com goes to a specific smart mailbox and that way you don't um you know exactly where to go to see that stuff. If you have a lot of email, you just want to look for those emails, you know, because it's all coming into your box because you're aliasing it. It's not a separate account, but you can then um, slice and dice it through rules or smart mailboxes um another thing that i'm getting with fastmail are the rules so like um when i get a customer support request for a field guide um i my background platform is teachable and mm-hmm. they have a very specific format to the email the way they form the subject line and based on a couple things they do in that email i was able to create a rule that consistently finds those customer support notes yeah and that one goes to me directly and it goes to my virtual assistant. Um, so I alias it and then send it to two people. I don't alias it. I'm sorry. I, I find it through a rule, but I send it to two people at the server level with FastMail. So that's an automation because now I'm no longer the bottleneck. She gets it the same time I do. Yeah. Yeah. And we um, and I have to hear your advice on this, Rose. But what I'm doing is I'm filtering it into a smart mailbox on my Mac so I know mm-hmm. which ones she's also getting because yeah. if I reply to it and don't copy her, then the customer gets two replies. We don't want yeah.
0: that. Yeah. I mean, what I would actually do for something like this, where it's possible that you reply to it or somebody else will reply to it and potentially down the line, maybe even there'll be multiple people, um, especially, you know, if somebody's just doing this part time, yeah. you know, say for example, one of your daughters, um, has free time at the weekend and says, Hey dad, can I help you out with stuff? um, is a ticket system. It's a very official thing, type thing, but basically, it's a email lens in this inbox. And somebody deals with it and everybody can see who's dealt with it, um, system. And it works. Um, it's better than shared mailboxes in many respects because there's no chance that somebody accidentally replies from a personal email address, um, or something and all the replies come back to the same place. You know Um, what?
1: I should look seriously at that. I I always thought that was too much for what I'm doing, but again, I'm trying to... Honestly,
0: it really depends. Like there are, there are so many variances in the kind of ticket systems out there. You know, if you email, um, Um, Apple, Um, if you email Tim Cook, you probably don't get an alter reply, but I 100% bet that lands in a ticket system and there's a team of staff sorting it out and they'll funnel things into, hey, this needs to get filed filed into feedback, please, or things like that. But if you contact a company, usually it's going to land in a ticket system so that they know who's dealt with it. And if you've got a reply from two different people at a company giving you two conflicting answers, it's probably because they've got a shared mailbox rather than a ticket system. Um, But there, there's all sorts of scale of like you can have something that will deal with hundreds of thousands of employees and all five hundred thousand different departments that they have, versus something that just works with like two or three people. Um, And so, there's plenty of options out there.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to research that. The only one I'm aware of is zendesk because i know it has some clients that zendesk
0: is fairly popular but quite pricey um i believe it's 25 dollars per user per month um which can be a lot of money um for one system that i've previously used for anybody who's curious um is um zoho um zoho is a, a company they're based in india and they offer like a whole suite of different applications kind of like google does in many ways but they're very affordable and their stuff's been pretty good they also have native applications for everything on well i say native they have uh ios applications um for everything as well which is quite nice so you can easily pop in on your iphone or your ipad and check stuff out um if you didn't want to use the website which gives you push notifications too
1: yeah and zoho is 14 dollars per agent per month well I'm going to, uh, that's
0: on their highest tier, which you might not even need actually. Yeah, The
1: free tier is three agents, which would be enough for me.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, Well, We'll see. Um,
0: exactly. So the trick will just be getting the email into the ticket system instead of sending it to multiple people.
1: Yeah. Well that, that is excellent. So I will look into that, but to kind of go further down the email rabbit hole automation, uh, I spend a lot of time automating email. I mean, of course, uh, I have, um, the uh, I have a text expander for Teams account, so I've got several people on different teams where I'm updating snippets for everybody, and I really like the consistent message from it. And uh, again that's a sponsor of Mac Power Users, so you guys can say, "Oh, that guy's a shill." I-, I pay for it. I mean, I get the bill every year. I don't. I never. You know, I don't like to ask for free things from people when I use it to make my living. I feel like if I need to be in there with everybody else and pay for it. So, so I I pay for it I use it and uh, find that quite useful. Uh, Same box as well. I mean, I have so many levels of automation on my email because same box really helps again and a sponsor, but again, I've been paying for it since before they were sponsor and um, just all these methods I'm using to try and keep email to something manageable and just see what I need to see. Um, I use the uh smart mailboxes. I'm using Apple Mail across the board. Uh I think I'm going to try uh do that, one of those runs again through third-party apps to see what's out there again. Yes. But Apple mail is pretty much working for me. And the thing I love about it is the Apple script um availability. I did a mm-hmm. webinar on this uh last year, but yes. I've written Apple scripts that can move messages, can copy messages, can you know, I can do all sorts of manipulations with Apple scripts inside Apple Mail. And then like I wrote that script that puts in the recipient. So I just type X high. It'll say, hi, Rosemary. It'll grab your name from the, mm-hmm. from the two fields. Like all those little, like I've tweaked Apple Mail to kind of myself. And then I've like programmed all that stuff into uh, my stream deck. And I've also programmed it into the keypad on my extended keyboard. And so I'm really fast with Apple Mail. Um, uh, so it's hard for me to move on. And I don't think there's anything else that really supports Apple script customization the way um, Apple Mail does. But but I'm using a ton of automation.
0: Uh, I want to say MailMate does. I think MailMate possibly does. But one of the things I've found when you're switching between mail applications is like leaving a default setup. So I have mail configured on iOS. I don't use it, but I have it configured and shortcuts sends through mail. Um, And it just means that my shortcuts, I don't need to change them because I just leave it configured. And then I can swap out whatever app I'm using. I'm using the Fastmail app on iOS because I can create rules in the iOS application and they're on the server and it just works, which I love. But like being able to uh, just, you know, swap things around without breaking all of the automations can be quite useful. Um, So even if you end up leaving, you know, Apple Mail. Uh, on On your Mac, and you switch to it for certain things. You know that's not a bad thing.
1: I actually need to go back to MailMate. I I got really into it last year. I bought a license. I um, I I rewrote all the key bindings, so I had basically all the kind of automation that I have with um with uh, Apple Mail. But I got it through MailMate. But the problem was, I had two Macs at the time, and right. getting those rules to sync over actually is almost impossible. And then I was tagging inside the app, and that also was a sticking point. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to use tagging as much now that I'm not doing law. So MailMate yeah. may be an option for me. Again, I think I'm going to reinstall that and uh, do some experiments. Uh, uh, if you're listening and you're in the Max Sparking Labs, I think you're going to be getting some Mailmate content as I test yes. it out.
0: One one massive thing in favor of MailMate is of course it supports markdown for yeah. uh email writing, which of course you and I love. Um, and it is great to just be able to write some text and chuck it in there and it's plain text and it suddenly magically becomes rich text on the other side. Um, that's pretty nice.
1: I uh but I do think because mail is such a big piece of what I do, um I I am willing to spend time getting automations tuned in for it and uh like in the morning when I go through a Max email mailbox, I do like a morning clear out to catch any emergencies. And then in the afternoon I actually process mail. I, I don't really respond to mail unless it's an emergency in the afternoon. But like I have programmed with those Apple scripts on my um on my numeric keypad or on the Stream Deck, I can type one, two, or three. One is priority, two is action, three is read later. And then I've got the zero underneath it is to archive it. The period Mm -hmm. uh, sends it to the same box black hole and the enter key deletes it. And, and I've got some other ones I do, but those are the main ones. And I get through an inbox so fast that way. Um, Yes. Anyways, automation, email, good thing.
0: Yes. What what are you using
1: for email on your uh, iOS devices?
0: Uh, I'm using my the fastmail app um, okay. because it it, it just good. lets me yeah. do all the rules and stuff, and it 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 works really well. It's got light mode and dark mode. Um, yeah, I, I I like it. It's basic. I don't do a lot of email on my phone usually. Um, at most, it's like snoozing an email or. Um, deleting email, pretty much that occasionally archiving things. Um, but uh, you know, if I start receiving a bunch of things and I can go in and create a rule and just shove it into a folder and deal with it all later and that makes life much easier. So, uh, yeah, I, I quite like being able to do that. Um, just because you have the options. I do
1: the same thing. I run the Fastmail app on my iPad, but i run the mail app on my phone. And like you, I do almost all my actual mail management on my, uh, on my mac
0: i tend to do it mostly on my ipad actually oh, really? uh, nowadays i'm not quite sure why uh, i think it's because the ipad mini is so portable um yeah. and i just always have it with me it's a bigger screen yeah. um and i got the uh, cellular one this time so i have that as an option
1: but even like you know the mail sort for me is so much faster on the mac because of that keyboard thing i just told you about i mean mm. doing yeah. it by yeah. tapping and moving it feels like i'm in molasses you know um But I agree. I think the mail, the fast mail app was like a bonus to me. I didn't realize that not only was I getting a good mail app in addition to a good mail service, I am just so happy with that transition. I'm kicking myself for not having done it 10 years ago.
0: Yep, it's always the way, isn't it? It's always the way of you realize later what what you've been missing. But until then, you didn't know what what you could have done. This episode of Automators is brought to you by the wonderful folks over at Expander. What could you do with more hours every month? While repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers, they're all taking precious time away from you and your team. With TextExpander, you can take that time back so you can focus on what matters most in your business. With TextExpander, you and your team can keep your message consistent, save time and be more productive, and be accurate every time. The way we work is changing rapidly. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more in less time and with less effort using TextExpander you'll never need to copy-paste repetitive responses again. With TextExpander, your knowledge will always be at your fingertips with a quick search or abbreviation. Here's how it works. Drop your most commonly used content into a TextExpander snippet and give it an abbreviation. Share your snippet with your entire team and just type a few characters to trigger your snippet and the content expands anywhere you type. It's that easy. What I love about TextExpander is it works for big and small things. So silly things like correcting the fact that I often switch the S and the E in my name simple, or perhaps a much longer item, which needs me to fill in multiple details, well, I can do both of those with TextExpander. And of course, because I can share it with people, it means that everybody says the right thing. And if somebody spots a typo, well, everybody's got it fixed right away. TextExpander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And as a listener of automators, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. I'll thanks to Spender for their support of this show and FM. So, David, you clearly have done more than just website and email. I'm guessing maybe task management, calendars, some other stuff has been tweaked and changed up too?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've been an aggressive user of OmniFocus for years. And, um, uh, you know, I have automated the heck out of that. If you've read my OmniFocus field guide or watched it, you know, i use a lot of automation there and that all is continuing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: one thing that changes with all this is my OmniFocus database gets smaller significantly because before I was tracking a lot of clients and ongoing projects for them, which I don't have to do anymore. Yep. Um, but OmniFocus is really scales. Well, you know, I, I, I do think I'm going to look at other options, you know, just to see what's out there. Cause I haven't done that for a little while, but mm-hmm. the, um, but the automation tools in OmniFocus are really great. And uh, so I'm using uh, shortcuts-based automation largely with OmniFocus to do project creation. And I do have a lot of repeating style projects. Like I just shared one with you the other day that is the um, mm. the shortcut for when we confirm a guest, you know. And yeah. what I do is I have a shortcut where I type in, it prompts me for the episode number the guest name, the um public the record date and the publish date. So it gets four pieces of data. And this is an old script. I mean, if you look at it, I was assigning variables in it. So that tells you yeah. how old it is. I do that and then I created a task paper style omnifocus project. So you can do that. Omnifocus imports task paper, which is a very, yeah. very simple syntax. To create OmniFocus tasks and projects. So for example, if you want to flag a task, you just type at symbol flag and you've got to get a flag. So it's yeah. really easy. Anybody can do it. I cover this at length in the OmniFocus field guide. Um, but so I've created one for a automator show with a guest. I also have a content show version. I don't think I shared that one with you yet, but, um, so when we book a guest, I run this shortcut, and now I can do it on my Mac, and it's working consistently. Hooray! Um, yeah. But the um, so it, when it runs, it grabs those four four questions from me, and then it creates a whole OmniFocus project, like and it'll say like you know um, you know, OmniFocus or say Automator's episode Dave Hamilton interview or whatever, and the um, and then in the individual tasks that underlie it will insert the date that we record or the date that we publish or the name of the guest so it's very nice when it's done it's a it looks like a hand created project and there's like you know about 10 steps to it it takes a lot to get one of these episodes out yeah but so what the first thing i do is i take those four variables and i create that project um, for Omnifocus. then the next thing i do after that is i create an obsidian note On the projects, I have an Obsidian like project page for every podcast episode, and Mm -hmm. it uses the same data, so I don't have to type it in a bunch of times. It grabs the date, the episode number. Um, The only thing I haven't done yet is figured out, and I'm going to have to use web automation. I want to grab the Google Doc. URL well, What
0: up. I was just thinking, David, is because you're asking for things like um, the episode number, the guest, yeah. um, the date of recording and the date of release. All of this is the information that we have in, in our, our air table, air table that, yeah. ma- that manages it. And the Google Doc link is in there as well. So yeah. you could instead give yourself a list of the upcoming scheduled recordings with guests for this one and yeah. the ones without guests for the other shortcut. And then you just select it and then bam and tell you what, we can even add some columns so that it can say like David's automation ran and it can add a check mark uh, in that field so that then those get excluded from your view.
1: All right. Well, let's work on that together. That'll be something we can cover in a future episode. But yeah, but what I did was, so the next step is it creates a text file, which is what you do with, with obsidian but then I set the name of it based on the episode number and the guest name. And then I have to add the .md to the end because Obsidian only sees ah. markdown files. So I changed the name to create a markdown. Ah,
0: I, have a, I have a pro tip for you there, David. Yeah. Um, so what you can do where you're setting the name, you need to uh, make sure, or this is a tip for everybody. If you put .md or anything in the name of um, a text um, uh, file... Um, Make sure you turn on in the expanded section, don't include file extension, because that's what gives it the .txt, um, usually. So if you add .md and then you exclude adding the file extension, you turn on don't include file extension, then it works uh, at least 100% of the time for me. Because I ran into this the other day when I was trying to fix something for somebody else, and I realized I automatically do this and I hadn't told them to do it.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think I've paid attention to that, but it's always worked, but maybe... I don't know. Maybe it's acting as a full rename for me. I don't know. I'll, I'll Possibly, look into but the yeah. uh, and then because I use Obsidian uh, sync service, um, these files are saved to the root directory of my um, of my computer. They're not on the cloud. So then mm-hmm. I just save it to the very specific folder for Automator's episodes. So then it shows up in my Obsidian library just fine. Um, another thing I want to automate on that rose off the pick your brain on this is I want to add it to my Kanban board in Obsidian, like a mm. newly created file. I, I'm going to look, there's something, there's something I there. Think,
0: I think we can do something there. Um, I have done the thing that Obsidian tell you to only do if you're being very careful. And I double sync my yeah. Obsidian uh, vaults. I only do this on one machine. Um, yeah. So please, please, if you're considering doing this, listen to the advice of only do it on one. One machine, um, because if you do it on all the machines, it's like Ghostbusters don't cross the streams unless you're told to right at the end. Um, so, uh, yeah, by doing that, if we if we double sync it, then maybe we, we can just uh like put it in on, on in one place and then it'll end up everywhere for you.
1: And, and honestly, it's not that big of a deal because I work in that Kanban board every day, so I'm it helps me kind of keep on top of things. But and then the last thing I do with that script is I take all of that data and I prepare text. an email to the guest and it says, Hey, we're recording on this date, you know, make sure you have a good mic and, you know, all the things that we need to tell a guest before they come on the show. And it opens the native mail app and shows it to me as drafts so I can make any last minute changes and send it off. So it's a very, um, I I don't know if this is a, I guess it's an intermediate shortcut because the actual steps I'm taking are not super complicated, but it's kind of long because it's doing a bunch of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah it's one of those things where it it's it's a it's a simple shortcut from the tech like from the difficulty perspective to an extent but equally it's a very effective shortcut so it, it does exactly what you need and why wouldn't you just leave it as it is
1: yeah and i'm just going crazy with you know omni javascript stuff and adding more and more of that and um Yeah. So in terms of task management, I'm automating a lot of stuff. I, I really do want to look at other options, um, to OmniFocus. Mm -hmm. It's just OmniFocus gives me so many things that I love. It's really going to be hard to, to, to dislodge that. Um, like another thing that OmniFocus does is it allows you to create a link to virtually anything. You can create a link to a folder, create a link to an individual project or whatever, or, or a perspective. And because I'm so hung up on contextual computing, like when I go to that Obsidian note, it has a link to the OmniFocus project based on one of those links or or to Dev and Think data on it or to the Google Doc. And so like I, I look at the Obsidian as like my mission control, you know, and I can click something on the Kanban and immediately get to all the resources related to it. And yeah. um, it's going to, you know, I've looked at, you know, some other task managers and they just don't do a lot of that stuff. So. It'll be hard to dislodge me.
0: Yes, yeah, that is the thing. Whenever I've tried other task management applications, they fall down really, qu- fallen down really quickly because I can't defer things or um, I can't check things off before the repeat is due or something like that. And you know, there's 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 advantages and disadvantages to every system. And once you find a system that both works very well for you and you've worked yourself into the way of it working, um, it's it's difficult to change.
1: Yep um calendars are for me uh, another source of constant automation and this is another one where i pro- uh, i primarily rely on shortcuts automation we did a show on calendars i don't need to go over it all here but i am um, i love calendar blocks shortcuts makes it really easy there's no other tool in my mind that automates calendars better than shortcuts as much as i love things like keyboard maestro apple Script. And all the other stuff, they're for, much more fiddly for for calendar events than shortcuts, in my experience. I don't know if you yeah. agree or disagree.
0: I, I find shortcuts is just so incredibly easy because it's very simple to just have that data and duplicate a block um, to add the calendar event or just iterate through a list um, and add one calendar event that's 30 minutes or 60 minutes or something for each item. And it, it makes life very easy to be able to do that. Um, and it's possible to do this with other tools, but I've just never found another tool where it is quite so simple as it is with shortcuts and where it's also so easy to debug because as we all know with uh, um, time, time is a nebulous concept, um, especially when you're automating it or attempting to, because it's it's just one of those things where it shifts and, at a time zone for extra extra fun. And uh, we'll see you in 2042.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I should have mentioned at the beginning of the show, Rose, I'm doing a free webinar. That's one of the nice mm-hmm. things about my new life. I think I'm going to be able to do a monthly free webinar all about how I manage calendars uh, on the 21st of January at 10 o'clock uh, Pacific. So um, I don't have a link for you, but I will by the time the show publishes. And um, if you're interested in seeing that, because like one of the things I've done with this big change is I Max Sparky is not a single calendar. Now it's like five calendars, you know, because I've mm-hmm. got different content channels and all this other stuff going on. So um, I've had a lot of fun kind of growing up my calendar and making it more customizable for the things I'm doing. I I'm using all day events for, for in ways that I hadn't before and got a lot going on, but in terms of automation um, I'm really, you know, all in with shortcuts for that. And uh, one of the nice things about this change in my life is I I don't get the interruptions I had before. You know, when you do right. client work and a client calls you, you've got to stop things and move things around to take care of the client problem, and I don't have that now. So that actually allows my calendar blocks to be a lot more consistent. And mm-hmm. uh, as we record this, I'm only a few days into this, but it is it is a it is a glorious thing. I love it so much.
0: Good. That is that is the most important thing that you. Enjoy what you're doing, and that you're happy with it, and of course, you get to automate all the things.
1: And my calendar blocks stick. <laughs> I mean, you know, what I mean, it's like, amen. I don't know. There's not a whole lot more to say with automation and calendars, except like, I, I think you should bring calendar automation into other contexts. Like uh, earlier when I was talking about that shortcut for creating a podcast. Um if it wasn't for the fact that Rose is so efficient because Rose has a web based automation that creates the calendar events already. um, Mm -hmm. I could have added a step to that that created the event in the calendar as well, in addition to sending the email and putting together the obsidian. So what I would suggest is if you've got something that you're automating in terms of projects and they involve dates, um, adding a calendar event is one extra block in shortcuts. Um, You should always keep an open mind. To just creating those events automatically at the same time
0: yes yeah it's one of those things where especially if you're already getting together a bunch of data um like you know what else can you easily throw in there that you do as part of this anyway or immediately afterwards or immediately before um and don't forget um this is something that uh, i helped somebody else out with recently the run shortcut action is amazing so if you create lots of little shortcuts and then you're like, you know, it'd be really good if these were all one shortcut, but I don't want to recreate everything and I don't want to copy and paste everything. Just create one master shortcut and then, or one primary shortcut, and then use the run shortcut action to run each of the, each of the shortcuts. And you can even put it inside of a menu um, or something so that you, you choose um, which one it is that you want to run, or you can get all the shortcuts in a folder, choose from list and then run each of the chosen ones or skip the choose from list and just run everything in a folder. There are lots of ways that you can combine your shortcuts uh, to make life even more powerful once you've created a couple of little ones.
1: Hey, you know, we haven't said this for a few episodes, but I am, um, you know, we were hard on shortcuts for Mac when it released, but I, I feel like it's got a lot better. How How are you doing with it?
0: It's definitely doing a lot better. Um, the, the part that I'm struggling with with shortcuts in general right now is um, apps not being available on every platform um, and having to code my shortcuts to work around an action not being available. Um, and I really wish that I could have a toggle overall in shortcuts that just says, hey, uh, like if this like or a per shortcut that just says, hey, if there's like actions missing, just keep running. Like, it's fine. You don't need to, uh, to, to stop and cancel everything and say that you can't do this. Um, because, uh, that, that is very frustrating. I was trying to run a shortcut on my Mac the other day and it wasn't running. And I realized, um, it's sending a push cut notification, but I don't have push cut installed on my Mac. It's like, well, the push cut notification is just a, Hey, I'm doing this thing. FYI, if you need to cancel it, like jump now. Um, and, uh. Yeah so I have now I did an if around that but I shouldn't I feel like I shouldn't need to be doing that all the time I feel like maybe I could just have something that says ignore missing actions in the shortcut um and proceed anyway um which would be quite nice.
1: Yeah the if tool has become a survival tool with multi platform yeah. shortcuts and I think the way I'm getting around it honestly is I'm just forking shortcuts now like i got tired of writing if statements and like it seems so tedious to be trying to like work around these exceptions because of which platform so now i'll have a you know new podcast for mac new podcast on iphone and they use their they start out the same but they take slightly different paths and i run them as separate shortcuts
0: yeah. My problem with that is the diverging content in those shortcuts. So for example, a task paper list. Um now most of my task paper lists, fortunately, I source out of drafts. So that wouldn't be too much of an issue. But what happens if I add a calendar step to the to the Mac one, but I forget to add it in the iOS. Exactly. One? You have and that to. and that's that's what um really uh annoys me so i actually now have a shortcut that i use the run shortcut action on that i include with most shortcuts and it tells me um if this is a mac or a watch um and otherwise it just says okay so if it's a mac or a watch it'll go it'll send back a no and if it's a an iphone or an ipad it'll send back a yes because yeah. the vast majority of the time um if it's an iphone or an ipad i've got the app installed on it and i'm good to go um but if it's if it's a Mac or the watch, then it should probably not be doing whatever it's supposed to be doing.
1: I mean, the, none of these are good solutions, you know, really. yeah. um, but the, um, yeah. I don't know, what what's the solution? What would you do if you were in charge?
0: This is a very difficult question because I don't know the architecture of shortcuts and I don't know how things are written. And also it very much depends per shortcut. So, for example, sometimes the push-cut actions that I use are send a notification, and I'm fine if it doesn't send a notification. Sometimes it's the run server action. If the run server action doesn't run, I want everything to stop and fail. Um, and so I would I would really like, just in general, actually, all of the apps to exist on all of the platforms um, and have all of the actions available everywhere. Like, that would be the easiest solution, but shortcuts can't solve that. So I think... In that case, like the first time you try and run a shortcut on a device where an action is missing, it should give you a bit more information um, and just say, "Hey, like you know, do you still want to do this?" And the one thing I would absolutely 100% get rid of though is unknown action. This action cannot be run because a required app is missing. Um, because this is actually an action in the the Automator's guest episode that you sent me, David. I have OmniFocus 3 installed, but shortcuts somehow somewhere has got a bit confused and thinks I don't have OmniFocus 3 installed possibly because I also have OmniFocus 4 installed yeah. um, uh, in the test flight, and that's the one I'm using. But it says unknown action, and the only clue that I've got as to what um, kind of action it is, is the icon. And even tapping on the icon and show info, it says unknown action, no description available. It would be really good if they could somehow like save that information, and so that when you share... A shortcut even if people don't have the apps that you specifically used like they can see what it is that you were trying to do and you know they can view everything they can't edit it but then they can easily replace it with something that will work for them because this is something that always ends up feeling like when i'm sharing a shortcut i have to go oh wait do you have these five apps installed um and some people i know that i have the apps installed other people i realize i have to rewrite my shortcut because otherwise i'll have absolutely no clue what it's doing
1: Yeah, I I agree. I don't think there's a good solution. One hacky way I was thinking about it, it would be like, what if on a per action basis, we had like a disclosure triangle that says run on and there's like run on watch, run on iPhone, run on iPad, run on Mac. And like, you could literally just check like this will run on the iPhone, but it won't run on the watch and the Mac. And then it just skips it.
0: Yeah, this is where improving the if action um, to be a switch case would be really lovely. Um, So, for example, a a switch case for people who who aren't familiar um, is basically you can say, hey, um, I want you to switch based on this variable. And in the case that this variable is a... I want you to do this. In the case that it's B, I want you to do that. And C, I want you to do that. And frequently there's a default, which means none of the above do this. Um, I really wish that that existed for platforms where you could just drag that in and then you could like, you could drag in, say, a a, 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 a I don't know, a platform switch, and then you would just toggle on like run on Mac, run on uh run on watch, run on iPhone, run on iPad. Um, but the problem with that is also then what if you have two iPads? Do you want it yeah. to run on both iPads or just one iPad? And maybe that is a very niche case, but also I think the people who are using shortcuts are the niche case users.
1: Yeah, we're a niche nation, you know. <laughs>
0: Yep. We, we're, we are the uh, the people who are doing things weirdly and in a complicated fashion because we can. But also, you know, we've been using shortcuts for a very long time. And the one thing that I found when I've set up shortcuts to my parents and so on, like they, they don't necessarily know they're using shortcuts. My dad locks his blood glucose in health through shortcuts uh, because the app that he's got doesn't have health HealthKit Sync. So he's got a shortcut next to that app where he just taps it and then shortcuts pops up a, a health um, logging thing, and he types in the number and presses OK, and then it opens the health app. And he doesn't know it's shortcuts, but it's something that I had to set up for him. And if something, like if he was using a different app or something, then that would have been much more complicated. And he did try running it on his watch, and it got very confused.
1: I'm I'm really curious to see what Apple does with this, um, you know, next year, or mm-hmm. this year, I guess. I feel like they're going to respond to this but um, I feel like for, they will. Yeah. For the meantime, um, I mean, shortcuts on Mac is m- a much better um, player now. I, I, it's still weird yes. in some ways, but, you know, that's because it's an early adopter of Swift UI, but it works. You know, it, it's like when I was w- trying to record for the shortcuts for Mac field guide, like in November, it just wasn't working. Now it's working. So that's good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's some points. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by DevonThink, the flagship product from Devon Technologies. Get organized and unleash your creativity. Just go to devontechnologies.com automators to get 10% off. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all of your documents, snippets, and bookmarks and working with them. The integrated artificial intelligence assists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language with advanced Boolean operators is there to help you find even more. DevonThink features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over the local network, too, with everything securely encrypted. This gives you the choice of however syncing works best for you. It has smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks. So let DevonThink automatically organize your data with rules you define. DevonThink's AppleScript dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac. There's no part of DevonThink that can't be automated. So extend DevonThink's functionality with your own commands by adding them to its scripts menu. Even templates have scripts inside, and you can set up new documents with data from placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript code. It's really kind of awesome. And of course, there's so much more. From an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even an embedded web server for sharing your data securely with your team. I'm a big fan of DevonThink. I keep a bunch of data in there. Not only do I like the way it manages documents, I like the automation. I like the fact that you can link anything inside DevonThink. If you want to do contextual computing, this is perfect for you. Because no matter what the file is, you've got just one link away from it anywhere on your Mac. Whether you're managing a lot of documents or doing a lot of research, you should be checking out DevonThink. And, and you can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com automators. That's devontechnologies.com automators for that 10% off. And our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of the automators and all of RelayFM. Uh, One of the things that I'm also rethinking with this big move is my desktop setups, you know, because I am a big fan of them. You know, it kind of leans into contextual computing. Like if I'm going to sit down and edit a podcast ad, I want my computer to look one way. If I'm going to sit down and do something else, I want it to look a different way. And um, I've been evolving on that lately. Um, The last time we checked in on this, I was using keyboard maestro and moom settings because moom has mm-hmm. all these great settings um and with moom you can have pre-configured locations and uh yeah. and it's just a, it's really clean so it's it's a you know it requires to have a separate app which i know a lot of people don't want to do um but i did find a, a spot where moom wasn't really it's uh, scratching the itch for me um yeah um i have one screen that i call my status board and right. on it i've got Uh, an OmniFocus perspective. I've got, I've got a lot of stuff on the screen. I've got, I'm just thinking through it mentally now. Messages, Slack, Basecamp, Twitter, time tracking, timery. And I think I've got like eight apps on a screen laid out Mm -hmm. very carefully. And it's just like the right swipe for me. If I want to check in on that stuff, I swipe over and it's there. And I was having trouble getting those to lay out properly with Moom because it was just so much. Yeah. And uh, so what I ended up doing with that was just using the keyboard maestro has a command to set a window and they've got like preset defaults, but the Mm -hmm. defaults are pretty big. Uh, I actually really laid it out pixel by pixel. And so you can say, put it in this spot is the upper left corner and make it this size and I got right. them exactly how I wanted them, and recorded those numbers. And so I'm actually having keyboard maestro do that entire um, automation for me for that setup. But I uh, yeah, I use that one quite often.
0: Yes, I found one trick which is really useful for me when I'm using Moom, um, and I use the the feature from the menu bar where you can click Save Window Layout Snapshot. Yeah, I found a lot of the time, Ignore Obstructed Windows is actually not what I want because my windows somewhat overlap. Like right now, Audio Hijack is hovering over Slack. But I still want the Slack window to be positioned right where it is. Um, and so if I untick ignore obstructive windows, then Slack pops up into that list along with a whole bunch of other apps. Yeah. Um, and so that that for me has been very useful. Um, and also some windows just can't be resized, much smaller than they they are. Um, and that is frustrating when that happens, but it's quite useful because before you give it a title, you can see the the list of all the applications that are going to be arranged when you do that, which is quite nice.
1: Yeah, I, I again, I remain a huge fan of these desktop setup mm. automations. Uh, you know, I know you're all in with Bunch at this point.
0: I, I'm using Bunch with Moom, so yeah. I use. Bunch bunch to launch all of the applications that I'm gonna need, like give it 10 seconds, and then I run the 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 Moom setup yeah. and I do this all from bunch. Um and it's working really well for me, especially when I uh, added the shortcut to start my podcasting focus mode to my doc and I then removed it from my doc. That meant that start podcasting focus mode is now an application in my personal user application folder, which means that I can run it through Alfred um and Spotlight and keyboard maestro and bunch. And it works really well.
1: What are the pluses and minuses of doing that in Bunch versus Keyboard Maestro for you?
0: Uh, honestly, for me, a lot of the fa- a lot of the stuff with Bunch is the fact that um, it's just text, so I don't need the open like I don't have the the extra visual thing of open app, I can just see that it's opening um, Safari and it's opening specifically a new window in Safari using Keyboard Maestro. um, And, um, you know, and it opens Zoom and it opens Audio Hijack. And I've just got a list there. And it means if I want to search for all the things that open Audio Hijack, I I can very, very easily find it. And I'm not also finding things that have got Audio Hijack in the name um, and so on. So I do a lot of things with Keyboard Maestro as well. Um, I just find for switching between statuses or context, Um, I, I like bunch um, just because it's, it's my menu bar of, I am in this mode. I'm doing this thing. Okay. I've done it now. The next one.
1: Yeah. I need to make a serious effort with bunch. The problem is bunch came into my life after I had already automated all of this stuff in keyboard, mm. Restro, you know? Yeah. So um, I need to, uh, I need to make a serious effort with bunch to see, how that plays. Well, the like, thing
0: that I had with bunch as well, wh- because uh, keyboard Maestro now has this feature because keyboard Maestro recently had a huge update, which is amazing yeah. is, um, keyboard Maestro has always had the ability to run macros, part of a macro. Um, but it, you kind of had to like set a variable, then retrieve a variable to pass information around and, or, you know, depending on what you're doing, it, it was a bit complicated. They now specifically have um, macros as subroutines, yeah. which makes this thing so much more powerful because I use subroutines in every single one of my podcasting bunches because I I have Audio Hijack popped open um, and I then have it press the keyboard shortcut to, well, it closes all the Audio Hijack windows and then it presses Command 1 to give me the 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 overview of all the different kinds of recordings that I could do with Audio Hijack. Um, and things like that are sub bunches for me. Well, they're not sub bunches, they're, um, snippets, um, in bunch and they would be sub routines in keyboard maestro. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I just, it clicked for me earlier with bunch than it did with keyboard maestro. Neither of them is the right or the wrong application for this. It's whatever you want to use, um, that works for you.
1: Yeah, but I still want to, like, I need to dig in on a bunch and and find out. Because it is, like, the idea of just writing a text file is kind of a beautiful thing, right? To set up your desktop.
0: Yeah, it is. And um, especially when you can do things like start by saying, hey, hide all the windows. Um, like, turn, uh, stop the display on my Mac for turning off for 90 minutes and things like that. Which are, again, things I do at the start of every podcasting workflow because... I don't want my display to be turning off in the 90 minutes while I'm recording. Like, usually I'll be clicking at something, typing a note or something, but just in case, I make sure the computer stays awake for 90 minutes. And that's all just very easy to do with the text command. Um, and I tend to trigger Keyboard Maestro macros from Bunch as part of this anyway. So,
1: yeah. And, and it's like, and the thing is, you can go further with this. So, like, my Keyboard Maestro, just as an example, my Keyboard Maestro set up to edit and add. Um, it it queries me as to which show, like whether it's yep. Mac Power Users, Automators, or Focus, and then it opens. That's not just open the Finder; it opens the Finder to the exact folder where those files are saved. Yeah, and then it opens that file in Fission, which is my the the editing app I use, and then it resizes Fission very wide on my screen because when you edit audio, you want a wide view mm-hmm. and so it like it does more like you because you can do this also with shortcuts and we got shortcuts on the mac you can say open safari put it on the left side and open pages and put it on the right side but um it doesn't really give you the ability to go in and and do much more than that with keyboard maestro you can open a specific web page or open a specific pages document and yeah. you can do all that with bunch too like um when i open omnifocus i don't want to just open omnifocus i want to open omnifocus to a very specific project or perspective and yeah you can do that um with keyboard maestro and presumably bunch too that that's why i need to spend some time with bunch
0: yeah and and you can actually do this with shortcuts as well but To do it in shortcuts, you'll either need to get the URL scheme of the folder or the project or the task that you want to open or use the find folder or find project action to get it and then open it, um, which feels like it's potentially a bit more work. Everything's Um, a little harder. Yeah. 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 All right. So I've just realized that because of my uh, my system, I've accidentally got six OmniFocus windows open right now, David. That's not <laughs> okay. quite what I intended. But the no, good news is, not. two of them are automators.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we got one third of your of your uh, windows there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another thing I'm working on automation with, and this is really a work in progress. Is I, I have like. At, at, when I made this decision, I decided, okay, this is getting real. Like I've always had JF to help me editing, and I've got uh, Leilani helping me with virtual assistants, but I've got some other people on the team now, and I want to get better at, at accessing and working with them and getting them content and getting their help. And um, the automation element of that isn't great yet. Um, I stuck with um, with Basecamp start. Partly because it started with just me and Leilani and she really likes the Basecamp interface, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you've got somebody working with you and they're happy with something, you don't really want to change it around. I mean, I had looked at Notion and stuff and I, I just don't want to make it harder for the people that are helping me. So I'm yeah. resistant to change that. And Basecamp does have some good web hooks that I'm not using in terms of web-based automations. But now as I've added people to the team, this Basecamp has just got bigger And there, this is something I need to seriously look at automation. Like when I prepare a blog post or when I have a sample video for people to review, I need to like automate all of that. And I haven't done it yet. And I'm kind of early in the process here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely something to be said about having a tool that works for the other people as well, because with your website, you know, you are the one calling the shots and everything. So it is up to you to make that decision. But if you end up picking a tool, that's, difficult for people to use or they don't quite understand like why why are things organized like this and why are things scattered all over the place and so on it gets very difficult for people to actually do the thing that they need to do um which is not micromanaging their tasks, it's doing the tasks, one hopes. So, uh, yeah, Basecamp is good for things like that because it does have webhooks to get data in and data out um, and so on. And Notion's getting there with their new API, but it's still very much a work in progress as far as I can tell. Yeah,
1: and and Basecamp is pretty simple, but it also just really hits you over the head with the stuff that's on your plate, which is what the people I work with kind of want, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. They don't want to be going and hunting and pecking around for... Um, you know, all of the the links um, that they need or, you know, finding a, a, a blog post or something. They just wanted to be there.
1: Well, there will be future content on the automators about automating team management stuff because this is very much on my radar now. And yeah. I'm going to be working on that. Now, we've been focused so far on talking about kind of the automation I'm running these days in relation to certain tasks. But I just wanted to take a minute um to say keyboard maestro is just so essential to me i i use it for everything it, it's really my uh you know if everything what, what's the saying about hammers and nails like if you have a hammer everything looks a nail if you have yeah, keyboard yeah. maestro everything looks like uh you can a keyboard solve maestro it. Macro. yeah exactly <laughs> i mean uh i you know one of the things that changed for me over the last year is i've stopped trying to be so demanding on an ipad i'm trying to try to treat the ipad kind of the way apple views it in my opinion Mm -hmm. so a lot of my more advanced automation i'm not trying to like jump through a million hoops in shortcuts i'm just writing a keyboard maestro script on my mac and running it there and i spend a lot of time on mac anyway so that's fine but i have just you know my keyboard maestro automation over the last few years has just kind of exploded because every problem I see seems like I can solve it with some sort of keyboard maestro script.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I find I do this as well, you know, if I'm if I'm playing with bunch then for the next couple of days everything's a bunch um well, bunch. Um and then if I'm playing with keyboard maestro the next couple of days everything's a keyboard maestro macro and then if I'm in drafts for the next couple yeah. of days it's all it's all draft sections. Um and then it's shortcuts mm-hmm. and then the whole cycle begins again, only add a whole bunch of extra tools in there because, you know, why why would I do anything simply? Yeah. Um But equally, it can be a really fun exercise, especially I found, you know, I've created something in one system and it works. It's fine. Um, And then as I'm doing something seemingly completely unrelated in a different automation application, I'm like, you know, wait, what that thing that I actually kind of wanted to do in this, but I never did because it was just going to be too difficult well i can actually do it now in 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 this application it'll be super easy um and so that's how i often end up with interlocked actions of keyboard maestros calling bunch or bunch is calling keyboard maestro or running a shortcut or something like that
1: yeah i i totally agree and but for me on the mac keyboard maestro is so good and if you haven't used it cuz you're intimidated by it uh, i would recommend taking a you know go back to listen to some of our prior episodes i think we've done a good job if you want to throw money at it, I have a really good field guide that I'm proud of that I think can, can get you running on Keyboard Maestro. But I get these emails every day from people who buy the field guide and are like, I can't believe how much stuff I'm able to automate with Keyboard Maestro on my Mac. It It is just crazy. Like I was talking earlier about, like I can go to the Grammarly website and have Keyboard Maestro find a button that seems to move every time I open the website and click it mm-hmm. based on what it looks like. And like that's one step in Keyboard Maestro, and you know it just it just um, it's an essential tool for me as I go through this process. And I do tend to le- lean on that Keyboard Maestro hammer. That's probably the reason why I haven't got as good at web automation is because I can solve so many problems with Keyboard Maestro that I don't bother. You know, it's like yeah. okay, this works. I'm good. Um, yes. On the flip side, when I get over to the iPhone and iPad, the tool that i find myself using more and more and shortcuts obviously is a big deal but uh, the tool that really stands out for automation for me lately is drafts because Mm -hmm. um, draft solves drafts is kind of like the keyboard maestro of the iphone um, because so much of that iphone stuff i do involves text and drafts has so many ways to work with that and let me just give you an example you know um One of the challenges I have with this new kind of career shift is I have all these content ideas, but I'm not sure where they all fit, you know, like, like I just wrote down using bunch. That is a content idea for me, you know, Mm -hmm. now, is it going to be a blog post? Is it going to be a video in the the labs? Is it going to be a YouTube video? I don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be a field guide? Who knows? Right. But I, I want to capture that quickly. And so. I the way I do it is on the Mac. I just hit my um, uh, was it Control Option Command M the Mac Sparky kind of hyper key, mm-hmm. and then that's a um, conflict menu. And I type C for content, and it runs a script that says, you know, what's the idea? I type in using Bunch. It has a little checkbox there. If I've got something saved to the clipboard, I can add it or not, and then it creates a custom Obsidian note on that idea. Titles it, adds all the um, YAML data, all the Mm -hmm. stuff I do to create an Obsidian post, and saves it to the exact folder where I keep content ideas. And later, I'll go through that list and start thinking about more. In fact, one of the things does it as a checklist to that item in Obsidian, saying where do you think this belongs, you know, in terms of content. Mm. Um, So it does all of that, and all I do is type in one thing, and I run all of that with Keyboard Maestro. But when I'm over on my phone, I have ideas too, and I do the exact same. I get the exact same result using Drafts, and it's not that hard. You open Drafts, and Drafts has a templated text drafts action. We've talked about it on the show before, and I, mm-hmm. I took the exact same um, YAML content and Obsidian outline that I use when I have a new content idea, and Drafts has now has the ability to save locally anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I save that to the exact same folder on my phone. And it's just um, solving the problem on different platforms in different ways. But yeah, um, I just want to shout out that, you know, shortcuts is great and I'm a big fan. Um, but Keyboard Meister on the Mac and Drafts on the iPhone and iPad can really help you sometimes do things that would be otherwise difficult. I mean, if I get a content idea, I don't, what I don't want to do is open up Obsidian, navigate to the right folder create a new mm. file, run a template, and do, I mean, like 10 steps. And it's even harder yeah. to do that on the iPhone because, you know, it's the iPhone. Um, whereas now I just type a few things in drafts, push a button in drafts, and it happens, right? I i type a conflict palette into my Mac, fill in one field, hit return, and it's done. And that's the yeah. kind of automation that I'm excited about right now.
0: Yes. Yeah. Making it super easy for yourself to just do the things that you want to do without Getting distracted and falling down a rabbit hole and ending up in Wonderland on the way um, is pretty powerful.
1: I want to go a little deeper on web automation, Rose. Which vendor do you think I should be working with right now? Like, for instance, I have a paid IFTTT account, and right Mm -hmm. now, it is um, the two things it's doing for me is it's capturing a lot of data into my day one journal. Yeah, it continues to be very good at that. If I favorite a tweet, if I write a post at Max Barkey, all that gets saved to my day one journal. I love that. Yeah. Another thing it's doing is like I found there are a few people who write blog posts that I want to read everything they put. They're very low signal to noise websites Mm -hmm. and they don't post often. So I have IFTTT instead of reading those in my RSS feed because I found I was always sending them to Instapaper. I cut them out of my RSS and I just have um, IFTTT.
0: You just have them appear in Instapaper.
1: Yeah, so I IFTTT follows their RSS feed and puts everything in Instapaper as it gets published. And so I'm doing that with it. Um, I've played in the past with, you know, Zapier and some of the other competitors. Uh, which one do you think I should be going at, given the tool sets I've been talking about today?
0: Honestly, with the tool sets you're talking about, with things like Basecamp and WordPress and so on, I would be looking at either Integromat or Zapier. Um, And my inclination is probably going to be to point you towards Integromat just because I find the user interface is a lot easier to just dive in and do things it's it's a visual user interface um and so you can see for example there's an rss icon and when you click on it you see the details of the rss feed and then there's an arrow going out of it to um i don't know wordpress um and then that that's creating wordpress post or maybe there's an rss feed and it splits out um and then the word max barkey is on one line and the word um i don't know uh, 512 pixels is on another if we're yeah. talking about something um, for Mac Power users. Um, and you can just see immediately and then, you know, the, you just look at the icons after that and you can see exactly what's happening, um, which I find to be incredibly useful. You can get very nerdy and granular with it, but also you don't have to. And it does work with all the Pro Tools. Plus it's very affordable, um, which I think uh, quite a few of our listeners will very much appreciate. I'm paying for Zapier and Integromat on <laughs> higher tiers because I'm using them all the time um and actually a whole chunk of things just wouldn't be done without them um so for example creating the show notes for automators um and indeed creating new automated episodes and things like that a whole bunch of that is just handled for me with absolutely no work on my part anymore thanks to zapier um zaps and integromat c- uh, scenarios And they just do things and I don't even think about it. And the notes are just there. Um, And it's, it's brilliant. Of course, I still have to actually turn up and think about the notes. But it means that I'm never sitting down and creating a Google Doc for any of this, which is, of course, not something that either of us really want to spend a lot of time doing if we can avoid it when we've got systems and the ability to automate that
1: yeah all right so later this year we're gonna do a full show on web-based automation. I'm gonna sign up for both services I make a show called automators I need to do that again and um yeah
0: yeah I think you I think your accountant might let you class that as business expense
1: and uh Maybe. and we're gonna have more on that if you have web automation questions, let us know so we can mm-hmm. as we start playing that show um we'll try to address them but yeah thanks for that rose i I think I needed a kick in the pants on web automation and the problem for me just keeps coming back to the fact that I Maybe it's a thing that, you know, I grew up using the Mac and I'm just so used Mm -hmm. to doing the automation on the local machine. Yeah. I I keep having trouble wrapping my head around it, but my, my team and my, you know, my whole system now is a lot of web-based stuff. So I need to start looking more seriously at the web-based automation.
0: Yeah. The, the big advantage of the web-based automations is for example, things like, you know, uh, a, Po- podcast post appearing on your website like your local machine and indeed you shouldn't have to be involved in any of that at yeah. all yeah, um, exactly. like because you know say for example you have an emergency a family emergency and you need to go deal with it and you're out of sick like you're you're not reachable for a couple of days like that stuff still needs to go on and happen but you shouldn't need to have like prepped your assistant like you should go here and look for this stuff it should just turn up Because you should never actually be involved in the process of sending it from here to there, aside from setting up an automation and keeping an eye on it every once in a while to make sure it works. But I have to say, Zapier's apps and IntegroMAT scenarios for me have been rock solid. You know, you get them set up, you tweak them a little bit over a couple of weeks, popping back in every once in a while once you realize you've misplaced a full stop or something like that. And, you know, you're done. That's it. Um, and it, it really does make a huge difference to know that it doesn't matter whether or not your computer's on, whether or not you are in the right headspace to deal with this, or you're actively doing it or not. It does just happen. This episode is brought to you by Hover, one of FM's longest running sponsors. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name. So for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have. And they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover has a free WHOIS privacy, so the bad guys don't get your information. And a clean UX and UI, healthy sales on popular top-level domains, and more. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for starting businesses for lots of people. I have loads of domains. Seriously, I don't even remember how many I have because I have a great idea for a cool name and a domain name is a relatively cheap way of just getting started, even if I maybe don't do something for a while. The very first time I had an idea for a website, Automation Orchard, and I really wanted to create it, I went and I did a whole bunch of things. And of course, I had to buy a domain name first. And then after that, I actually built the website and put the content together. Maybe for some people that's the wrong way around, but for me, having the domain makes it real. We know you like intuitive user experiences and things that just work straight out of the box, so I know you'll appreciate Hover. Their user interface is really simple, clean, and easy to navigate. Buy a domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash automators and get 10% on all new purchases. That URL one more time, hover.com slash automators. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and FM.
1: All right, so we've been talking about me the whole episode. I want mm-hmm. to uh talk about some of our listeners
0: yeah, because uh we've we've had um, you know we we do get feedback for automators frequently and I promise you it's all being collected um so if you send a tweet with the hashtag ask automators or you post in the relay Fm members discord with our question mark ask automators uh, the feedback channel is a great place for that um but of course you can chat about it in any of the ach- appropriate channels if you so choose like all of this gets automatically saved um, and I promise we're going to start going through it um, but one of the things I wanted to to mention recently uh Stephen Millard who's been on the the show before he's been doing a lot of amazingly cool things recently um so he's done um an alfred um uh, action or alfred workflow to integrate with shortcuts and more recently he's done a keyboard maestro plugin for apple shortcuts which allows you to run a shortcut in keyboard maestro and it's brilliant i love it david i've actually been using it quite a bit and i'm really really impressed with this
1: yeah um, Steven is amazing. I think he's going to become a yearly guest so long as he's willing <laughs> to come on the show. Cause he is, he's prolific. Um, if you yeah. haven't subscribed to his website, it's thought asylum. I, uh, I love what he's doing. And, uh, and this post just went up today as we're recording, but it's, it's really impressive. And, you know, he also, Steven's the guy who also made the cool script where I ran the entire set of SF, symbols icons in gray, which mm-hmm. now is the basis of so many of my stream deck icons. You know, I mean, it's like this guy just keeps doing stuff. And, um, yeah. and yeah, so we'll reach out and get him on the show again this year, but he's got that. But I think the big deal is we want to do these Ask the Automator questions going forward. One of our hopes for this following year is when we don't have a guest on the show that we'll be able to cover a little bit of it on every episode We'll occasionally Mm -hmm. probably do a full-on feedback episode uh, to kind of clear out the decks, but uh, I would like to start addressing this on every episode. So if you've got some cool Ask the Automator questions, let us know. We plan to help you on
0: that. Yes, and uh, it's always interesting to hear... How people are struggling with things or what they're trying to solve um, and what they're trying to do. Um, and uh, I've been helping a, a couple of friends and family members out recently with a whole bunch of automations. Um, and David, I bought my parents uh, more smart home stuff for Christmas, um, oh, and, and I live to tell the tale. Um, yeah. They are actually thrilled with everything, which is amazing. Love it so much. Um, so uh, yeah, I, it's uh, it's it's one of these things where answering questions and solving problems for people is always very exciting and lots of good fun and it's especially lovely when our listeners share things with us um either things that they've made and things that they're proud of or questions that they might have um such as you know um how can i trigger shortcuts from the command line which is something that I, we can answer we're not going to answer today because it's a bit more involved um but you know there's uh there's there's plenty of options out there uh for you know you to ask questions with
1: yeah the uh, as the show publishes last week's episode of Mac power users was about home automation. We had YouTuber Shane Watley on who is a Mm -hmm. guy who only uh, does YouTube videos on HomeKit, And it's got some great videos, but Rose, you were there in spirit. I I think I mentioned you like four times during the episode.
0: (laughs) I felt my ears burning. That explains it. That explains it.
1: We talked about your share, your chair motion sensor which oh, Shane yeah. was very impressed with that. And uh, he, he had yeah. a good idea too. And I, I don't want to like dwell on this. I know a lot of folks listen to both shows, but um, put a motion sensor on your mailbox, which is an excellent idea.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a vibration sensor on my letterbox because here in the yes. UK, um, our letterbox just goes through the door. And every time um, that, that flips, I get a notification that says you've got mail and I love it.
1: It's so good. Well, For, for me, it's a little harder. My mailbox is like down the street from my house. Mm. and my mailman is very unreliable so i would like to know when he puts the mail in there so i don't go out two or three times to find an empty box and uh, so i don't leave the mail in there for 4 hours so uh, yeah. i am um, i ordered one and of course i'm using the acara stuff because now that i have their hub i'm all in yep yep the uh, since we we talked about the uh, water sensors what is it the what do you call them
0: the leak sensors leak sensors yeah.
1: Rose, I now have like eight of them.
0: Oh, yeah. They breed. They're like triples. They're brilliant. I got
1: like two of them. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I ran some tests and the alarm is just as loud and obnoxious as I'd like it to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And now
1: I've got them behind toilets and under sinks and yeah, all like over the All house.
0: places you shouldn't need to put a leak sensor, but equally you want to know if something goes wrong. It's brilliant, yeah. I, I So I got my parents for Christmas. I got them the Akara E1 Hub, which is like a USB stick. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it's really small. It doesn't connect via Ethernet or anything. But my parents really don't have a lot of smart home stuff. Um, and so I got them just sensors for Christmas. I didn't get them any control devices, just sensors. So yeah. I got them four temperature sensors, a motion sensor, and a, a light-level sensor. So the light-level sensor and the motion sensor are both in the living room, um, where... They have the lights that are automatically controlled. And now it says, if it's dark and I see movement in this room, turn on the lights. Um, But of course, only if somebody is at home. And if you come home after dark, it turns on on the lights. Or if you're at home and sunset happens and it turns on the lights and so on. And I I did expand the number of smart plugs for them before Christmas as a pre-present.
1: Now, which app are you using to run that automation
0: out of? Uh, just the home app. Okay. Just the home app. Everything is done through the home app. It's 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 really good. I'm really pleased that it works. Uh, previously the light level stuff I've had to use a controller for HomeKit um to to, to do things but it seemed to now work with the home app. Um, when I set it up for my parents. So fingers crossed it continues to work with that. If not, uh, something like HomePlus, Controller for HomeKit, uh, the en- Eve Energy app, these can all do more complex automations. Um, but the, the the Home app seems to be working perfectly for my parents. and I'm doing my absolute best to keep it minimal for them so that they don't have like a need to have 8,000 apps and stuff on their phone Um because they, they don't want that. Um, they just want to know what the temperature is in different rooms. And my dad already rearranged all the sensors about three times, and then messaged me and said, "Wait, I moved all the sensors around. How do I know which one's which?" All right, dad. Um, all right, dad. It's like Slow it's like on. okay, dad. I, I I should have written a number on the back of each one. I realize now. Um, this this was my fault. Um, uh, so pro tip, people, if you're giving small easily movable sensors to people um in my house i've done this david i've labeled the back um and the side of every single motion sensor so if it gets picked up and put in a different room like the the hue remotes that i have they're labeled on the back of every single one of them so if i pull it out the light switch and i've got two of them i just flip it over and one of them says bedroom one of them says office that's and they can go back to the idea. right place but i didn't do this with my parents
1: i think the car stuff you could probably just use a sharpie on it. It'd be yeah fine,
0: well that's I what i didn't do yeah. Okay, because I gave it to them boxed up and they yeah. they and I just put it in place because I thought they're not going to move this stuff around. And then like three days later, my dad's like, so I moved all the sensors around, but I think the temperature is like wrong in the living room because it says it's like eight degrees. And it's like, well, it's not eight degrees in your living room. It should be like 22. Um, what's up? It turned out he moved all the sensors around. So here's a pro tip for people who are trying to figure out which sensor is which after the fact when somebody's gone and shuffled them all around. Uh, if you've got an oven or a fridge Uh, just like put the sensor like near the oven like open the oven door whilst the oven's on like ideally while you're cooking something else and hold the sensor above it and the one that spikes uh, that that that's the one that you're holding Um, or if you stick it in the fridge for a couple of minutes it'll cool down quite rapidly it's not good for these things to be like suddenly exposed to lots of heat so don't Try not to put it in the oven and certainly don't put it in the freezer. Um, yeah. But a minute or two in the fridge or like opening the oven door with it, you know, in the waft of warm air that comes out is is not too bad. And it should give you that spike or dr- dip that you need to figure out which one is which once your dad has moved all the sensors around.
1: Or if you uh, if you have a kiln you could just put a uh, slow motion camera on it and put it on YouTube and watch it melt. That would be fun.
0: I mean, you could do, you could do that. That sounds like somebody's going to make some, some advertising money there, David. Um, I I was just hoping to give my parents some data because they've been looking at smart heating systems and they, they really didn't know whether or not it's worth it. So I'm hoping by giving them some easily accessible temperature data that it will be like, they'll be able to make that decision. Um, And the Acara stuff is so affordable that, you know, my parents have now said, like, oh, maybe we can get some more temperature sensors. And I linked them to a bundle of four. And yeah. they they realized how cheap this stuff is. And so they're, they're probably going to just carpet their home in sensors, which is great.
1: Did the same thing. I, I told my sister, because I have a brother-in-law that's kind of nerdy. I said, buy him the, the car hub and two water sensors. And he's already called me and he wants to get more. And I gave him mm-hmm. the, the lowdown. Uh, in terms of... Um, mobile sensors sensors that grow legs let me tell you something uh, so the other day I was working and my refrigerator water sensor went off and I'm like ah, oh, no my refrigerator is leaking but also yay my akara works you know yep. Um. so I ran into the kitchen and I couldn't find any water anywhere I, I literally pulled the refrigerator away from the wall I'm like I can't figure it out and then I realized wait a second where is the sensor? And I'm looking around and the sensor is nowhere to be found. And I'm scratching my head and I go back over to my desk and my dog sleeps under my desk while I work. And she's like mm-hmm. chewing on something. And sure enough, she found the Acaro refrigerator sensor. And I guess if you put enough dog saliva on it, it will trigger as um, <laughs> a leak. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it worked. It yeah. worked.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I when I when I first got mine, I I tested them out. I just uh, used like a very like small shallow plate and just put a bit of water on it and like yeah. pop the sensor on it. And let me tell you, if that's hooked up to HomeKit and you got a couple of HomePods, you know all about it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. When those so, <laughs> so I I now have relocated it in a place she can't get to, and I've yeah. done an audit of my. Water sensors. I think we're good now. I don't think she's going to yeah. find any more. But the um, that was kind of funny. I thought. That.
0: Yeah. One thing <laughs> you can do with the Akara leak sensors that I that I should have mentioned uh, before is um, they've got two tiny little screws on the back, which you can you can you can adjust them. So this means that you could connect something like a water level sensor to it um, if you wanted to. So say for example, if water going above a certain Point in a water barrel or yeah. a water tank was going to be a problem. You could put um, a, a water level um, sensor on there. You know, like there's um, a straight side. part and then there's yeah. a flexible part that yeah. that will br- be brought up by the level of the water changing, and you can just put that in. You can also just connect wire, just yeah. like straight conductive wire, which means that the actual sensor itself can be, say, stuck to the fridge. But the wire's down on the floor, you know, where it's going to detect the leak. Um, and so, you know, obviously, you know, it's it's it, that's not necessarily the best solution for these things, but it can be a very good solution um, for certain use cases. Um, and also, um, I may or may not have started deconstructing what the ACARA door sensors, David.
1: No, um, what are you and I, do with I it? may
0: or may not be able to tell you that you can do the same kind of thing with a door sensor to know whether or not something is open or closed or on or off because it's a binary sensor. It has exactly two states. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I've been playing with that a little bit because I wanted to know um, one of my locks. It's a smart lock, but it's a dumb kind of smart lock in that I can open it from the inside and it doesn't know that it's been unlocked and like the way that you open it from the inside you can latch it open and i yeah. didn't want to find out later that like the door was open or unlocked but like I wasn't aware of it. So yeah. I've I've been taking apart one of those to like put it inside the lock um with with uh some like battery springs and stuff. I'm, I'm kinda MacGuibering my own I want, system. Yeah. I want pictures I'm kinda my own system. It's not particularly secure. It's far from pretty right now. Um, but I'm gonna like I'm gonna keep playing with it and I've got a three D printer. I can three D print something um to go over the top of it once it's once it's in some kind of working order and hopefully uh we can share some pictures on the show but it's quite interesting figuring this stuff out once you once you really get into hacking it but uh equally it all just works as is so yeah i mean i could have just bought a better smart lock
1: you gave me a good idea though because we have an ongoing problem in our house with the refrigerator door in that Mm -hmm. um the way our refrigerators are made it's two doors next to each other and you kind of have to affirmatively press it in to close it it doesn't just close on its own and occasionally somebody will go and not close it properly and yeah. it plays a small alarm tone but lucky me with tinnitus i never hear it it's like it's right. in the zone that i don't hear and it's not very loud so if we're like in the other room we won't nobody will hear it yeah maybe and these the car things are so cheap maybe i'll get a couple door sensors and just put one on each one
0: yeah the only problem is is the the door sensors don't sound an alarm of any kind no, no,
1: but that's that's fine. But I can put an automation that says if it's open for a certain amount of time, send me a notification.
0: Yes, though the only problem with that is, is um, because I've have done this with HomeKit stuff before. It's it's kind of tricky to do with just home kit without putting anything else in there um, because what you need to do is you need to um, put in a wait action and the wait actions don't, like, they don't run for very long. At some point, yeah. it's just going to kill your shortcut. Yeah. Um, and so you need to do the wait action and then check if the door is closed at the end of that because it won't kill the automation from the door being open. Yeah. But the window of time for a fridge, like, I could imagine that I could be rooting around in my fridge for, like, two or three minutes, like, figuring out, like, what do I actually want for dinner? Oh, there's yogurt here. I should probably eat the yogurt. Yep. Yeah, but what am I having for dinner? Yeah. Um, you know, that that whole thing. And so those 30 seconds that a, an action can run for potentially is slightly problematic. Um, but I'm sure there is a solution. Maybe maybe our tomatoes listeners have got some ideas for you that they could post in the thread in the forum.
1: Yeah, yeah, let us know. I mean, this is a, a, pr- a real problem we need to solve. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, thank you for turning me on to the car stuff. It is it's like it's like toys, and they're not that expensive. Once you get the hub, I think it was like fifty dollars, yeah. so that's 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 not inexpensive. But um, getting sensors at a very good value opens up a lot of options. I, I don't have one under my chair yet. I think so far I'm good on that. But yeah, but I am going to put one in my mailbox. The question there is will the range work you know and um, i mean
0: the range on zigbee stuff is pretty good um it may or may not work um if not um uh, you could get an akara e1 hub and like plug it in as close to your mailbox like housewise, as you can yeah. um because that that can just you know that those hubs are very cheap um and and that could be the solution um, for that particular thing. And it will extend the, uh, if you set it up right, it could extend the the Zigbee network for a car in your home, which would be quite good too.
1: Well, we will, uh, I'll let you know, it's supposed to get um, delivered here in the next day or two. And so maybe next show I can report back on how I did with that. But yeah. uh, we are the automators and you can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. You can get all our back catalog. Um. Thank you to our sponsors today: LinkedIn Jobs, Text Expander, Devin Think, and Hover. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time, gang.
0: Goodbye.